0: Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the
1: day, my fellow listeners, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. My name is Steve Eschbach. I am your host. I also own a business called Transworld Business Advisors, which is a mergers and acquisitions firm that deals in small to middle market businesses out there. And uh, I'm delighted to uh, extend an invitation and have Lars join us here. Lars is in the commercial real estate space. He's going to have an opportunity to talk a little bit about his background, and uh, you'll get more information as this progresses. But I want to thank you, Lars, for joining us and uh, give us a brief background uh, overview of who it is you are i see something in the background there but uh, tell us more about yourself
2: yeah for sure and it's interesting that you mentioned you know mergers and acquisitions i came into real estate working for uh, as a corporate strategy and development guy and over 7 years we acquired like 42 businesses for a public company before that i worked for a valuation consulting company from the guy that actually wrote the book on valuation consulting so we we have some some similar sort of backgrounds. And so I got into real estate in 2007, you know, right before the market shifted quite a bit. It was starting to show signs in other parts of the country. I'm actually in residential real estate, so a little different than, than commercial. And uh, I decided, you know, because I wanted to be a good husband and a good father, I decided to go to the, the business building rather than sort of being a real estate agent. So I built a highly profitable systems-driven business that would allow me to still help residential buyers and sellers, but I didn't have to be the one working evenings and weekends. You know, traditional success as a real estate agent is seven days a week. So if you're selling, you know, a couple homes a month, which is only about one to 2% of agents out there, you're working every bit of seven days a week. And it's even when you're not working, you're working because you're stressed, you're sort of texting, doing emails, like all the insanity that we do as real estate agents. So the motivation after I scaled from, you know, my first year I sold my first full year, I sold 44 homes, which is like 0.5% of production in terms of my rankings in our MLS. And that was my first, first full year, but it sucked. It was awful. It was super stressful. And I definitely wasn't showing up at home uh, like I wanted to show up. So I grew every year, from 2008 to 2014. 2014 sold 410 homes uh, and I worked like 42 days that year, which is super cool. So I went from $18 an hour, my first year in real estate, when I kind of, all the expenses and hours kind of shook out to $2,300 an hour in that, that year, 2014, and ran it pretty sustainably and profitably one day a week, you know, for six, seven years. And So my motivation now is through Real Estate b schools to help others that have achieved at a high level, but they don't know how to apply business principles. Like when you go into value a business or sell a business, if it is 100% dependent on the owner, the value is probably close to zero, you know? So every agent's business, it's not a business, right? It's just a practice and it, it doesn't have any sustainability in it. So
1: that's me. I crack a smile at your comment there because I was involved in a number of chamber groups of business owners. And one year we asked ourselves, what topic do we want to talk about? And the topic that resonated by far among anything was succession planning, because exactly as you said, many of these business owners were the business. Mm -hmm. And if they went away, then unfortunately their business was going to go away. So we're going to talk more about that. But let me repeat so that I understand what you said. You sold 410 homes and you worked 42 days.
2: Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So 2012 was the last year I sold a home myself, January, 2012. That was the year we did about 248 transactions. And then a couple of years later, we did over 400. And I just committed to helping buyers and sellers at the highest level. So doing a better job than any agent in my market could do to help a buyer or seller, but just to do it in a way where I didn't have to do it myself personally. So if you break down, and this is the same for any business, there's probably a dozen jobs that every business owner has to do in order to be successful. So if you're a solopreneur, you're doing all of these Different roles yourself. And they're all the same for every business, right? You have to generate a lead. You have to have a conversation or an email sequence or a text sequence or a video sequence. You have to commit to getting that person to sit down for some kind of sales presentation, get them to commit to do business with you, then deliver on the promise that you, that you made in the sales process, you know, get them to a point where you actually get paid. And for real estate agents, it's weird. We only get paid after we do all of the work. And so it's it's a little bit different of an environment, but that Yeah. So that was the motivation was to build it out in a way where, you know, it could have a life of its own.
1: And I know most of our listeners, including myself, want to know more about the details, but let's do something different. Let's rewind Lars's videotape. Let's go back to your childhood and uh, tell me a little bit about that. Where did you grow up and uh, what kind of influences you had back then that kind of got you to where you are today?
2: Yeah. So actually, so I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now. When I was 28, I moved from New Jersey. And, you know, when I really look at like the biggest influences that I had in business, it had to be my parents. So they divorced when I was four and they moved from Sweden. So I'm first generation uh, Swedish American. They moved from Sweden to straight up e-myth, like entrepreneurial myth. I'm sure your readers have consumed Michael Gerber's e-myth revisited. And so my dad was like, If you can imagine like the hair colorist on a stage, like that's the thing that he loved and he got paid a lot of money to do, like the Michael Jordan of hair color. Sounds totally strange, but this was my dad in Sweden. So they moved to the States to start their own business and, you know, instantly in in all the stuff, you know, so when my dad was the platform artist, he had all the people helping him with all the details, getting the clients ready for hair color or whatever the stuff is. And it exists in every business. But now he comes to to America to start his own business. And he's opening up early in the morning. He's ordering supplies. He's, you know, reconciling the books. He's sweeping. He's, you know, now he's washing here. He's cutting here. You know, he's doing all the things. Very little of his time is spent doing the one thing that he loved doing. And so it's this myth. And, you know, they divorced when I was four. So I think combination of the stress of the business, um, my dad was an alcoholic as well. So just challenged with sort of keeping it all together in a way where he could, you know, show up as a husband and a dad and still be a business owner. I think the trifecta of insanity, whether or not you have addiction issues or, 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 or otherwise, is to be a spouse, be a parent and own a business, like all three of those, in my opinion, you know, require like a full effort. Like really, what does it take to be a great spouse? What does it take to be a great parent? What does it take to be a great business owner? And that's not even counting like we have physical bodies to tend to. We have spiritual, you know, parts of us and our emotional well-being. And so just watching him, you know, he drank until I was 15 years old and, and sort of somehow managed to keep the business going, but had nothing to show for it, you know, so he just, Never had any freedom whatsoever. Never had any monetary freedom, but even just being free, like just free and free from stress, he just didn't have it. And so, pretty sad at the end of his life. You know, I remember when I was leaving. You know, he had just passed away, and I just said goodbye to him. And I left with a small box of his belongings from the facility that he was in. It was like in a, um, it was hospice, but it was attached to the facility that he was in for like a few years. And not that monetary or accumulation or any of it, but there was only two people that I had to contact. Like only a couple people that I had to contact to let know that my dad had passed away and his entire life was in a small box. So that just really sort of confirmed the, the fact that I didn't want the business to get in the way of me doing the things that matter more in life. At the end of the day, like you can't take your money with you I know I'm going to die with money. I'm not going to live a different life if I make more money. But it seems like business owners, they just don't figure out how to get their business on a trajectory where it can actually allow, it can help them live a more meaningful, impactful life versus, you know, just constantly giving too much energy and time to the business. How old were you when your father passed away, by the way? I was, so he had a stroke in 2009. So that was... 1973, so 27 so 36 when he had a stroke so i was 41 when he passed away essentially he had a five-year death i mean it was the saddest thing ever he had a stroke that took him out in 2009 but he didn't pass away until until 2014.
1: so i get a sense lars that you kind of recognize some of these issues even before that because i don't know i just got a sense by what you were saying uh, how you were balancing the three elements your uh, being a husband being a father and being a business owner Sounds like that might have been instilled in you more in the formative years, maybe even younger before he passed away. And and how did that frame your schooling and eventual college education and then getting into your first job right out of college?
2: Yeah, so that's a good question. So my, I think with all the chaos and insanity of having parents divorced at, at age four, I definitely chose the path of achievement and getting it done. You know, so my mom never had to remind me to do my homework. I was always on point with getting my homework done. And this dates back to like, look, probably not second and third grade. I was a little off the rails. First grade, I was hanging out with guys that did not end up in the right place, but there was a teacher, I think in the second or third grade that got me kind of in the right ballpark. And then I kind of excelled from there. But I think it was that mindset that everything i was going to do what was in front of me the best that i could do it and so i went to engineering school but i never really spent time as an engineer you know but i knew that like doing that as good as i could would lead to the next thing and it did and then i got into wall street from you know being an engineer so my first job was counting light bulbs like energy conservation project for a utility company. So we like the subsidiary that would go out to the big businesses and schools and help them save money. So either counting HVAC units or counting light bulbs in schools and hospitals. And it was, it was horrible. And I worked for a guy that was in his mid-50s, and he was right there next to me doing the same thing. And I'm like, there's no way I can do this for as long as Don. His name was Don there's no pocket protector and all. I'm like, there's no way that I could do this uh, for as long as Don did it. So yeah. And then I worked for Bear Stearns in investment banking. And there was another guy there that had a seven figure bonus one year, but the guy was like 150 pounds overweight. He was living in the office hundred hours a week. His name was Fred. uh, So I remember Fred. then I left there to go to Curtis Wright. And there was a guy, George, who had spent 33 years with the company and finally got to a point where he was successful and bought his retirement home, $2 million home in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And uh, he finds out he has pancreatic cancer and he dies in four months. So here he is in like his mid-60s, just reaching a little bit of, you know, enjoying the fruits of his labor. And I'm like, there's no way I could do that. And so that was the ultimate trigger that got me to do something for myself where I can sort of kind of dictate in a way the effort I put in, you know, allows me to make the money I want and have the freedom that I want.
1: So you and I could go on and on and on because I have utility business, I have investor relations business, so I can relate to your Wall Street experience, but we're not gonna go down there. So you went from engineering to Wall Street, then you got into commercial real estate or you got into residential real estate, my bad. So how did that transformation happen? And cause it sounded like you wanted to do your own thing. You found it in real estate, but you had a basis on Wall Street. I can kind of see the parallels, but what am I missing there if I am missing anything going forward?
2: Yes. So when I was working for Bear Stearns, I actually ended up working for a valuation consulting company for about 18 months in between there. But that didn't have a big impact because I really left Bear Stearns wanting to work for an aerospace company in acquisitions and strategy. So Curtis Wright was the perfect job when I was at Curtis Wright living in New Jersey, I always had an affinity for homes. So I was, I love watching like, back then it was uh, this old house, which now there's like 1000 of those shows where in a single episode they can do a, you know, 20 week renovation where in this old house, it seemed like it was in real time. They would nail like two pieces of wood in like a half hour on the show, but I always loved it. So I actually, I invested in three, two family homes in New Jersey. I sold them when I moved to Charlotte it was a corporate reload for that same company, Curtis Wright, that took me to Charlotte. So I sold three homes in New Jersey. It allowed me to buy 10 homes in Charlotte. So at just at the right time, I sold them where there was a ridiculous return. I remember I had like $500,000 and essentially I went and bought five homes in Charlotte. And uh, in that process, I was working with the same broker the whole time. And he kind of, just a level of freedom. turns out that he was another sort of part of my story where he didn't have much freedom. He worked seven days a week selling homes while he was running the company and it wasn't a profitable model. And so that was a, another learning point uh, along the way. But that was the tie in that he basically planted the seed like, Hey, you know, you obviously you're an investor. You might consider doing this for, for full time. And so that's, that, that was what happened.
1: So I'm hearing this and I'm making some, I guess, interpretation. So it sounds like there's a little bit of leverage to get to where you are today. And it sounds like you rely on uh, subject matter
2: experts that can assist you in where you are today. Am I right about that? Or, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there, E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber was like a major mindset shift for me. I also read the book No BS Time Management by Dan Kennedy back in the early days. Those two... If you've ever seen the movie, The Founder, there's that the tennis court scene where one of the McDonald's brothers is on the ladder kind of directing and and they're like erasing the court. And I just, when I read e you know, Ray Kroc, the whole story there, something triggered in me to think about real estate like a business. And then Dan Kennedy in that book, No BS Time Management, he challenged you to what kind of money are you making and how many hours are you working? And my first year in real estate, it was $18 an hour. And I I got to the point where I made $2,300 an hour just by delegating, creating a system, getting someone to run it to the point where there was really nothing left for me to do in the business, like literally, you know, I could just review reports and kind of be a true business owner, like a McDonald's franchise owner. The McDonald's franchise owner is not in there managing the day-to-day. They're not in there. They're making sure the cash hits the bank and they're overall managing the finances. But so that was kind of the, and then I've had, I've spent probably close, it's upwards of $750,000 on coaching and personal development and of all different kinds, probably about a third, by less than a third in real estate specifically. But I've just always been on you know, a quest. I actually just fired three coaches because I just want a breather. I just don't need to be coached anymore. Not that I know everything, I just need to just do it.
1: So you're telling me you spent three quarters of a million dollars just on coaching you to be where you are today? That's right. Yep, since 2007. So that goes to the adage I've heard time and time again, you got to spend money to make money, right?
2: Yeah, because it was all spent in the context of businesses. You know, in the one business, I mean, Real Estate B-School were probably at about 10 million of, maybe 12 million of revenue since 2013. And in the probably 20 million in the real estate business. So over the course of my career, I've had $30 million of, you know, sales run through our bank accounts. And I just committed a portion of it, no matter what, of the budget is going to go to coaching and personal development. Not all for me. Some of it was for team. But of the 750, that was all for me personally.
1: So tell us a couple of things I want to cover before we uh, run out of time. I could talk to you forever. But anyway, so tell me a little bit about Real Estate B-School and then tell me a little bit about the book that I downloaded that I'm going to be reading rather quickly. Because I think you have recognized that a team approach will help you get to where you are today. And I so much want to work 40 days and sell 400 businesses. So you got to help me do that. So explain your business, The Real Estate B School, and, and tell me about the book that's going to help me to get to be where you are.
2: Yeah. So I would say fundamentally in real estate, residential real estate specifically, there's not really someone that comes in with like, this is just straight up business coaching. Like most of the coaching that's provided in the industry is either productivity coaching. So it's like you have to make this number of calls every day. We're going to touch base once a week and make sure you did your calls. Or a lot of it is like social media focused, or it's just going to help with the front stage part of the business, but not operationally. How do you sell more homes in less time and have less stress? So I just took that approach to it. Like how can I create a, a structure, a planning system, you know, the specific systems around client care and lead generation and sales to take more of the systems approach where like, Hey, these things can run without you. You just have that the mindset and install these systems. So that was real estate B-School. It's, it's different. We joke like in a market real estate that sort of wants french fries and rock concerts we provide salad and green juice you know so the good thing about salad and green juice is that if people want to be healthy they're always going to come back to the healthy stuff but in a market where sometimes homes are
0: the building better business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level it's no longer enough to earn good profits You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele which in turn will build you a better business.